So we're going to do it a little different tonight. We're going to end our You Asked For It series. We're going to answer several questions. Um, we've, got, uh, we've got Will, we've got Kate the Great, and we've got the lovely John Vogt. And so, um, not single, pretty much not single, single ready to mingle. All right, there we go. I told him I wouldn't make, embarrass him. Um, I'm just giving... Facts. Just, just facts. Yeah, just facts. Uh, hey, here's a couple of quick questions. Somebody asked a tithing question. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna hammer out a couple of questions. Somebody asked a tithing question. Um, somebody asked a barber vest question, and somebody asked a veggie tail question. I'm gonna hit those three real fast. If Jesus were a vegetable or fruit in a New Testament veggie tail episode, what would he be? I've sought counsel on this. <laughs> I've prayed a little bit. I don't know. I'm going with broccoli. Kate helped come up with that, broccoli, because you either love it or you hate it. Y'all, you either love it or you hate it. Jesus is very polarizing, but I do think he walks up in the episode with like ranch dip in one hand and like maybe cheese in the other, and he's like, I'm good, y'all. Give it a try. Uh, I'm, I don't know. So anyway, barber, one question was, uh, when does barber vest season begin? Uh, and so, you know, some of you were like, what? Cotopaxi... Um, you know, I don't know, whatever your vest is. When does vest season begin? This Atlanta like loves a vest. Um, they love vests. They love vests. Anyway, uh, you know what? I'm going, I, this is my farmer's almanac for you. Third week in October. Mm. Let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens. Third week in October. That's what I'm going with. All right, here we go. It is going to be 85 tomorrow, 10 degrees cooler than yesterday. <laughs> Praise him. All right, here we go. Now, last question, tithing. Should you give from the gross? Should you give from the net? Should you just give generously? I'm just going to say what I think the Bible says. I think the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 9, to honor the Lord with the substance of the first fruits of all your increase. I think Jesus affirms the tithe in the New Testament. Um, he's talking about the Pharisees, and he says that of the Pharisees, he says, you tithe mint and dill and cumin, yet you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You ought to have done, you ought to have done those things without neglecting the other things. And so Jesus is affirming, hey, you got your life out of order, but he did also affirm, hey, you tithing is the right thing. So tithing, that would be a 10%. That would be 10% would be the minimum, um, the standard for giving to the Lord. Uh, and I would think you do it off of your gross. If you don't know the difference, gross, it's like, oh, that's gross when you see how much you make versus how much you take home. That's the net, what you catch, what you keep. And so I say 10% from the gross, what you get total bef like before taxes, all those other things. And, uh, and then somebody said, well, what about, does it have to go all to the church or all, or can it like be spread out? And I would say, I would think I would be teaching you a legalism if I said it all had to come to the church. Um, I would love that y'all be great. We would just be, we would have cookouts on Fridays. Who knows? Like we were just all the time, but, um, no, I think you've got to have wisdom and discretion and, uh, and you got to figure out where does the Lord want you to give that money. So that being said, now I turn into a host. Ah, this is super comfortable. So comfortable. Is this the same chair I have in my office? Yes. yes. I never sit in it. <laughs> it's so great. If you ever come hang out in the office, please sit in this chair. It's great. Is this from my office? Barrett's office. Okay, great. 
All right, that's perfect. Okay, hey, we've got a few different questions here. And, uh, and so I'm super excited to hear y'all's voices. So Will obviously is our, our worship leader. Kate, uh, Kate and I have worked together for close to, close to a year. Let's call it September is a year. Man. Okay. Yes. And John and I, John's been hanging around for a long time. We just started working together officially a couple of months ago. Yes. So here's the first question. It's a super easy one. Will, this is for you. Sick. If God created everything, why did he make sin? Nice, easy one. Easy one. All right. I got three minutes to explain the existence of sin and God's sovereignty. Um, And... I'm going to take after Thomas and try to offer clarity, but also I think if anyone ever explains a massive philosophical topic to you in two minutes on like Instagram or something, you should be very suspicious. So take this and go deeper. But this is actually a question that I wrestled with a lot uh, when I was wrestling with doubt and deconstructing my faith. And so I think it's a really good one. So when we talk about sin being born, in a biblical worldview. We're talking about Genesis 1 through 3. So most of us are probably familiar, but God creates a perfect world. He creates one type of creature that's distinct from the others that he creates in his image. So to love him and to receive his love, um, to live in fellowship with him. And then he creates one rule. He makes a tree in the middle of the garden and tells them if they eat the fruit of that tree, they're going to die. The mousetrap. The mousetrap. So that's a question that I struggled with for a while was, did God mousetrap the Garden of Eden? And if he did, then how is he good? Like why, did, why did he put a tree there? And so pushing into that, researching that, actually led me to see God's goodness and his beauty in a very distinct, profound way. And so I'm going to use an example, and then I'm going to tie it back to Genesis 3. So I live right around the corner from here, um, off Lindbergh, and so I have about a five-minute drive home. When I drive home every day from work, I drive past like three strip clubs. This may come as a shock to you. I've never been to any of the three. And every Tuesday... I lead worship, stand in this room with literally hundreds of women who are single, who are my age, and I've never taken any of you on dates, which is also good. And the question is why. It's not because I have to. It's because I love my wife. I love Jenna, and I enjoy being loved by her. That's like something that I treasure. Now, the way that I love Jenna is not just me thinking Jenna's a great person. It's not just me thinking that she's attractive. But true love implies an alternative. It it implies a choice, right? So it's not like if I said I love Jenna and enjoy being loved by her, but did not choose against any alternatives, then, you know, if if you saw me if I went to a strip club, if you saw me on a date with someone else, that would obliterate any claim that I love my wife. Mm -hmm. So love implies a negative, right? So if God creates a creature to enjoy fellowship with him and there's nothing for that creature except to exist with God, then he just created puppets, not people. And so, yes, when God put the tree in the garden, he opened the pathway for rebellion against him. But in the same breath, when he put the tree in the garden, he created a covenant of love 
with his people, a covenant of love where his people were to choose him. And so I think that that is a a crucial thing to understand is that God didn't create sin. He created love, and we rebelled against love. That is good, y'all. I love that. That's, yeah, you can clap for that. That's a great answer. We, we talked about this yesterday, and, um, and I kind of asked Will, I was like, so are you going to reference C.S. Lewis, who you took that from? And he was like, C.S. Lewis said something about that? <laughs> there is a very, very similar idea that C.S. Lewis talks about. And so I just think that this is so profound for us to understand that um, if, if love no longer has allowance to choose to love, then it is not love anymore. And so that is a really, really solid answer. And yet it still contains some mystery, and that is true to the scriptures. Kate, we have a great question for you. Okay, so what are some practical ways, this is two questions, but you're going to answer them together. What are some practical ways to walk in contentment with the Lord? I'm in a season where it's been very hard as everyone I know is getting married or having kids and I want a family someday, but have not yet found my person or have not found my person yet. Question two, how do you hold desires and trust the sovereignty of God while also not just sitting around and waiting for things to happen? Great question. Great questions. Um, So I'm gonna make this very practical because that is what the first question asked for. And I have a slide, I think it's the next one. It has four points, yes. So the first one would be to serve. The number one way to have contentment, I think, is to get your eyes off of yourself. And one way to do that is to serve. Um, Mm -hmm. So get involved at Christ's Covenant, or if you're a member at another church, um, get involved in the community. We do a lot of work at Clarkston or in Clarkston um, or any other nonprofits. Um, but just getting your eyes off of yourself, I think, is the number one way. And Paul talks about, sorry, I'm going to have you flip back, AK. There's a verse um, from Philippians. I can't read it from that far away, so I'm going to turn around. Um, it's three verses, actually. It's not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so Paul is saying here, like, contentment is learned. Um, God is sometimes incredibly kind and gracious to give us the gift of contentment in a moment after a prayer. Um, But nine times out of ten, I think y'all would probably agree if you've ever struggled with contentment. We have to learn. We have to learn how to be content. And it's something that we have to choose and ask for day by day, moment by moment, season by season. Um, And then the second thing would be to be present and faithful where you are. Um, So something that I have done in my personal wrestling with contentment is consider where God has me. And so, you know, one of the areas right now is I'm on staff at Christ Covenant. So asking myself and asking the Lord, what does it look like for me to be faithful in my job? What does it look like for me to be faithful as a small group leader, as a friend, um, as a daughter, as a sister, as an aunt, all these different areas. So show up, be present, be faithful to the Lord, obey him. Don't take shortcuts because you're feeling discontent. It is not worth it. Um, be present and faithful in the word, in prayer, memorizing scripture, just spending time 
truly knowing the Lord. Like he longs to know you and, well, he knows you, but he longs for you to know him. Um, the third, which I think can be the hardest um, when you're gonna, in. I was going to interject and say, yeah. if like this was like, which one do you struggle with? That yeah. I'm circling the third one. Yeah. yeah. The third one is by far the most difficult when you are wrestling with discontentment to see, like the first question asked, to see people getting the things you want, to feel stuck in the season of life you've been in for X amount of time. Um, and so I think a huge part is, of contentment is celebrating others and genuinely asking God to help you do that because he really will, I know that verse gets thrown around, but he really will give you the strength to do the things that he has asked you to do. Um, And then finally, be honest. Um, Be honest with the Lord um, and also be honest with other people who are following Jesus, Um, people that will rebuke you in your sin, people that will encourage you when you are discouraged and people that will pray for you. Um, So those would be my four practicals, um, and going back to the learning to be content, like, I just think, keep asking God to help you be content, keep fighting for that, because if you're not content where you are right now, as soon as you get the thing you want, there's going to be another thing, you're going to, you're going to become, you're going to stay discontent, because you think you got the thing you were discontent about, um, and it just creates more and more discontentment. So if you ever want to talk about it, come find me. This is something I've wrestled with for a long time. So I'd love to chat. That's so good. That's, uh, <clears throat> I, I tell you, that the be honest part as well, going back to Philippians 4, just learning to pray exactly what you're thinking because the Lord knows it anyway. It has been so freeing, that deep honesty with the Lord. Okay, Johnny boy. All right, here we go. Yep. How do you honor your brother or sister in Christ? It's a great question, Thomas. Let's hear what you got. Will uh, Will always says during his prayers, we pray that our words would fall away, but your your word would stand. And so I'm just going to scripture. Um, With Philippians 2, 1 through 11, it should be up there. I, I, I paraphrased it, but it is you up did, there. Yeah, I you did paraphrase it. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open. Um, this passage talks about Christian relationships with one another. Verses 1 and 2 are, are talking about if you're a Christian. And then it says, be united. So, so Christians should pursue unity, all Christians, like in all relationships, in friendships, in roommate relationships, if you're dating someone, if you're married. Like we should seek unity in Christ. And then in verse Three, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If we can take one thing from like this question, I hope you all just go back to this text. Just go back to this text. Look at what God has spoken, because it says, like, if, if I'm thinking about an interaction with a brother or sister in the Lord or in any relationship, like, am I counting them more highly than myself? Like Kate was just saying, like, do I serve others? Do I live as a servant? Do I seek their best interests? If I'm, if I'm having a conversation with someone, am I seeking that their well-being would be the outcome of that, that interaction? In my speech, am I seeking their best? And generally, we fail. Like, 99% of the time we fail because we're sinful and broken and messed up. But every time in the New Testament you see a command... It's always couched in the gospel. So I love this passage because it says in verse 5, and your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so when we like, when we really think about the fact that the God of the universe like came down to earth to serve and like wash people's feet, like the God who created everything, we sh- that, that should like, how can I not serve other people? How can I not love other people? How can I not honor my brother or sister in the Lord? Like that, just go and sit in this text if you are wondering how to date or how to like be a good roommate or how to like love your spouse well. Like go to this text. That's what I got. I love that. And I love, what a great text. We, uh, tonight is about Philippians. Um, that's the book we're in. Uh, Kate from Philippians 4, uh, John from Philippians 2. I love this idea though, especially it's so clear in this text. Let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Imagine how the world would be so different if Christian brother and sisters would look out for each other's interest, even if there's some strife or conflict going on. It would just be outstanding. The world would see our love for one another, and then they would know Christ. Okay, Uh, Kate, I think we're back to you. Is that right? Okay, so here's a question for you. Having been, I think this is probably common for a lot of people, having been unable to effectively meet people and have fun in college due to COVID, boo, um, that's in the parentheses. You can't see it. Small Britain type. Um, how can I get to know people at church outside of my small group? Slash, how do I tackle loneliness? Big question. Great questions. So I'm going to give a very quick personal story. Um, I have always been an incredibly outgoing social person, and COVID did a number on me. Um, I think being Um, isolated for such an extreme amount of time. I didn't work for two months. Um, I worked in like the retail world as a florist before this. And so we shut down our shop. Therefore, I did not have a job and I stayed home. And after things kind of lifted with COVID and I was spending more time with people, I became very anxious with social situations, which was so new to me. I had never been like that before. And, um, I started coming to Christ's Covenant in 2021. Um, I was invited by two friends within the same week. Um, I was at another church at the time. And so anyways, I wrestled with that. And I started coming on Tuesday nights and I loved it. And so I was like, man, okay, I think this is where I'm going to pursue um, being a member. And so part of that meant I was going to be starting over with community and with friendships And so I kind of told myself, okay, if I'm really going to do this, I've got to go all in. I'm going to say yes to everything for a season. I'm going to put myself out there because, you know, in college, you're probably living in a dorm where you're basically handed friends. Um, But when you get out into the real world as an adult, you actually have to work really, really hard to have community. And so I, on Tuesday nights and on Sundays, I would say yes to everything. If people asked me to do something, I would say yes. But I started by initiating with other people. I would meet someone, I would go introduce myself to someone. And mind you, pre-COVID, that was easy for me. Post-COVID, totally different story. Um, and so I would go introduce myself to someone or have a friend introduce, my, or introduce me. And 
I would ask for a girl's phone number and I would text them and ask them to hang out. And some people, I felt like a guy asking a girl on a date. Some of the girls totally ghosted me and never responded. Totally fine. Some of the girls were like, yeah, I'd love to. And some of these girls are some of my best friends. Those other girls go to another church now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, Stand up if you're one of those girls. That's right. We want to see you. We want to see you <laughs> now. <laughs> Who's laughing now? <laughs> yeah. So, um, anyways, so a couple of very practical things. Um, again, I'm going to go back to serving. If you get your eyes off of yourself, like you're going to find so much joy in serving other people and serving the Lord. But it's such a great way to meet people. I mean, you see the greeters, the dinner team, the worship team, all these different teams. It's such an opportunity not only to meet new people as they're coming in, but to make friends with the people you're serving with. Um, my second thing, which I didn't make a slide for this, so sorry, um, is to initiate. You know, go out of your comfort zone. Talk to someone you don't know. You can do that by serving. If you want to be a greeter or something, be on the dinner team. Talk to people you don't know. Ask people to hang out. Nine times out of 10, people are gonna say yes. They're not gonna think you're weird or crazy because you wanna make a friend. Um, and so I would say, yeah, initiate, serve, um, and then go to other events. Don't just come to Tuesday night. Like, go to other things. Like, if a friend asks you to go, I don't know, go for a walk with them or go to coffee, say yes. If you hear about a women's event at the church or a men's event at the church or even on Sundays, come meet more people like other people in different stages of life. Um, and then the other one, which is just kind of fits in all of them, but a very practical thing is like who you're sitting next to, like on a Tuesday night or when you come into church on Sunday and you're sitting next to someone you don't know, just introduce yourself, ask them their name. Like we're all here like for the same purpose for the most part. And um, that's just like an easy, easy way um, to meet new people. Join a small group also. If you're not in a small group, I know that question said, meet people outside of your small group. But if you're not in a small group, email me, come find me. I will help you get plugged in. That is like the best way. Hey. Hey. Oh, I'm Kate. John, Kate. Kate, John. Uh, no, I love that. And I think I do appreciate, I appreciate all of, all of the wisdom and advice. I think one thing Kate is also good at um, is in the book of James, it says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, don't become angry, because um, man's anger doesn't bring about the, the righteous life that God requires. And so I do think there is something interesting about Kate and a bunch of other folks, and that is when she started to like climb into a new group of folks and like kind of work her way in, figure out is this like my people and vice versa, being a good listener, you don't want to be like the over talker or the nervous talker. Um, this is just your pastor talking to you here. Like you just like listen and, and you'll learn. And that's then folks will know, oh, you're kind of interested in us. Like that's very helpful. I just want to applaud you though and just say, you might be like the most friendliest group of people I've ever been around. Um, and I just want you to keep doing that. You're so good at seeing somebody who you don't know and saying hello and bringing people in. And I tell people, come for three weeks. If you don't, I, I bet if you'll come for three weeks, you'll get absorbed. And so I just appreciate so much you not forgetting what it's like to be the new kid in the lunchroom. So thanks for that. Uh, okay, we're going to go back to John, I believe. John, we got a question on um, discipleship. I actually think the word is probably, the correct word is probably evangelism here. Yes. Um, but it says, how to disciple 
uh, to non-Christian family members slash coworkers well without being pushy or offensive. And so, again, I think the, I think the um, the idea here is not so much disciple. You disciple someone who's who's knowing the Lord, but you're you're saying you're going to answer. How do you evangelize those folks? How do you share Christ? Yeah, discipleship happens as you continue to grow more and more like Christ. Um, evangelism. I have a definition up there. It's from J.I. Packer. According to the New Testament, evangelism is just preaching the gospel. So, so the actual act of evangelism, and, and he says, to, to give more definition, he says, it's a work of communication in which Christians make themselves a mouthpiece for God's message of mercy to sinners. So the actual act of evangelism is the sharing of the gospel. It's, it's a communication. It's sharing this truth. And it's, it's the best truth in the world. Gospel just means good news. It means the good news of, of Jesus coming to save us from our sin. And the message, though, is that you're a sinner. So it innately is going to be offensive. Like, the gospel is offensive. But there are things we can do around the gospel that, that couch it in the love of Christ. Because it is like, because God loves us, that he sent his son to die for us while we were enemies of him. Right? Like, it is a, it's a good message, but we, we want to be charitable to people as we share it. We don't want to just be yelling at people like, repent on the streets every single time, right? Like, we, we want to build up a rapport with people. Heather, so and I saw, Heather and I saw a guy on the street corner Friday night. We were going on our date night. Yeah. We were walking around the Marietta Square, and they had, the Marietta Square has the new, like, resident street preacher. <laughs> he gave me a track, but new I told him I was screamer. Good. I thought I uh, saw you <laughs> there. <laughs> Um, I'm off on Fridays. I do what I want. So <laughs> uh, I have another slide, but the, I think it's important to, like, why do we evangelize? We evangelize uh, first because we love God and we have concern for his glory. And this is from J.I. Packer again. And then second, it's because we love our fellow man and we have concern for his welfare. It's because we care about people. Like, this is why we do these kind actions within it. So three quick things. First, just like that, love the people that you're witnessing to. Especially if, if they're your family member, I would go to 1 Corinthians 13. Read through that. Read through what is love and ask the Lord to give you love for this person. If it's a difficult person, like, ask the Lord to give you love and kindness and patience with this person. Like, that is the best thing you can possibly do. And pray that they would come to repentance because God's the one who's going to bring them to himself, right? Like, pray for them. Pray for them because you love them. Second, Titus 2, if y'all, for note takers, Titus 2 is also very helpful for this. Very, very helpful. Second, in your normal conversation, just talk about God. Like, y'all are at Tuesday night. You're at church. If you're with your coworkers, just be like, yeah, I was at church last night. Like, that introduces so many opportunities just for conversation, just through simply talking about yourself. We talk about the things we care about, right? We all talk, we're all evangelists for something. Jason always says, like, you get in your shoes, you're like, dude, look at my shoes. It's like, we have the greatest news ever. It's the, the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. So like, just talk about God in your life. And then third, uh, show love for other Christians. Show love for other Christians. Jesus says that people will know us. People will know him by our love for one another. Mm-hmm by the way that we love one another. So bring your friends into the relationships with these people. Bring them into relationships like with your friends. Like, and not in, not in a like 
ulterior motive, uh, you know, but because you love these people and you want them to taste everlasting life with Jesus, right? Like, and they should see that through your interactions with one another. So that's what I got. That's so good. And I will say, John is like really good at this, um, especially the, the second one where he's like, he just talks about the Lord. It's just very natural. It's not forced. Um, and so I think he's really good at that. And, uh, and also just, um, I think you are really good at, um, in general, those of you that I've observed, you're really good at, at knowing, hey, I can talk about the Lord with these people, and these people are comfortable telling me they're not Christians. I know there's some of you here tonight that are like, yeah, I'm not a Christian. I'm just checking that out, uh, checking this out. And so we, we welcome both sides of this. We want those of you who are Christians to love that you're a Christian, that Jesus died for you and he's given his life for you and you're proud of that and you're excited about that. And, uh, and yet you love the folks who don't know the Lord. And for those of you who don't know the Lord, we hope you see that. And we hope you're like, this is, you're an interesting group of people. That's what I hope you, you experience and ultimately come to know Christ. So, okay, Will, you're not just eye candy for Jenna up here. You got one more question. And this is gonna actually round out our panel tonight. One more question. It's also a small one. Um, it's only about the Holy Spirit. And so here we go. I hear about the Holy Spirit being something that was given to believers at Pentecost, but I don't understand what the gift of the Holy Spirit actually changed. Jesus said it was better that he go to heaven so that he would have, so that we would have the Spirit, so it must be pretty good. What did Jesus actually change, or what did it actually change about the Christian life? Did people in Jesus' time and before not have God's sovereignty working in their lives and conviction, just joy in the Lord? No, I'm just going to let you go for it. Let's see what you got. All right, let's jump in. I'm going to start by just addressing sort of like this last question, because I, I think we can talk about it pretty briefly and then dive into the broader topic. So... The Holy Spirit, you know, works in situations. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to believers. Um, you know, all these, you know, the Holy Spirit brings joy supernaturally and hardship and all these things. But conviction doesn't only come, like, he's not the exclusive means. And I would say, like, a biblical example of that is Romans 1 says that, you know, we all have a degree of, like, the law of God written on our hearts. Mm-hmm. So someone without the Holy Spirit you know, like a, a billionaire who feels guilty about embezzling money or, you know, just whatever random examples. I don't I have no idea why that's the one my brain went to. <laughs> um, anyways. Those, those billionaire embezzlers are so easy to pick on. Yeah. But, uh, sorry, that was weird. But people who just feel bad about doing thing, like wrong things, that's just because they're made in the image of God. And so I would say the Holy Spirit certainly comes alongside the sovereignty of God and the conviction of sin and the joy of the Lord. But we, there are like, those are separate concepts in scripture. So that's what I'll say for that. But the Holy Spirit, um, I actually noticed this today, that the Holy Spirit is the first distinct member of the Trinity that we were introduced to in the Bible. Yep. You know, it says God created the heavens and the earth, and that's like the triune, three-in-one sense of God. And we know that because, you know, different passages of Scripture talk about uh, the Holy Spirit at work in creation or talk about how all things were made through Jesus. So God created the heaven and the earth, and then it tells us that the Spirit, the Ruach is the Hebrew word, that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And so the Holy Spirit is the first 
you know, true person in the Bible. And then he's very active throughout the Old Testament, but basically he doesn't live, he doesn't dwell with humans. He dwells very high and holy and, and he works throughout the earth. But what, the reason that I would say that is we have these prophets that come along. Moses is a great example. And it's described that the Holy Spirit will rush upon you know, Saul or rush upon a prophet or go and pick up Ezekiel and take him somewhere. It's a, it's a very different, it's not this indwelling spirit that we talk about. It's a much more outward manifestation, high and holy. And so Moses, you know, he, he's prophesying, uh, he, he's receiving words from God. He's receiving laws from God and giving them to the people of Israel. And one day there's these two guys that are in the camp of Israel and the spirit of God also rushes upon them and they begin to prophesy. And then there's this guy who really wants to get in good with Moses and he's like, oh, Moses is not gonna like this. There's taking his thunder. So he runs up to Moses and says, Moses, those guys are prophesying unauthorized. And Moses says, are you jealous on my behalf? I wish that all of God's people would have his spirit. And so that is like one of the first moments in the Bible. That's in the book of Numbers. It's one of the first moments in the Bible where there's this illusion that one day God's people will all be filled with the spirit of God. And then there's moments like there's an awesome passage in Joel 2 and God is talking about undoing the judgment on his people and bringing redemption. And he says, and in that day, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Mm. And your, young, your, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And so basically, if you trace that thread all the way from the spirit hovering over the waters to Moses yearning for God's people to have his spirit all the way through, there's this mounting tension of the people of God need a spirit because we can be convicted of sin without his spirit, but then it's dependent on our minds. And the problem is that we are so stiff necked. And that's basically what the whole story of the Old Testament is telling is that we are too stiff necked to keep the covenant of God without his spirit being indwelling in us. And then here's the thing. God's spirit is mighty and holy. It's not this extension or accessory of God. The Holy Spirit is a person of the Trinity. He can't dwell with undealt with sin. He can't dwell in darkness. He is pure radiance. He is pure glory. But the sacrificial system that allows the spirit to, to enter into the camp or makes way for the spirit to enter into the camp in peace the people are too stubborn to do it correctly and they continue to go off the rails. They start sacrificing babies. They start doing all this awful stuff. And so then God becomes a person, dies. And the book of Hebrews explains the whole gospel, the act of Jesus' priest so well. But Jesus does in one day what priests of the Jewish people had been doing for centuries and centuries and centuries. And in one act of perfect obedience, he tears the veil, he, he removes separation and allows access to the spirit of God for God's people. 
And this is why it's important. And then he tells his disciples, it's better, as this question alludes, he says, it's better that I would go than me stay here with you. The Holy Spirit will be more beneficial to you. So now I've talked for like six minutes and I have not answered this question. So why is that better? It's a big question. Why is it better? I, I do think the framework's important. Basically, it's this. The, in, Hebrew, in Ephesians 1, sorry, Paul prays that the believer's eyes would be opened to the great might, the great power of God that is working towards them that he worked in raising Jesus from the dead and seating him on high. So as the spirit, the breath of God resurrected Christ, this weird, mysterious triune moment where Jesus defeats death and and the spirit of God flows out through him, the breath of God flows out through him. We are told that that is the power that we have access to. Amen. And so it's not just a, you know, it's not like a little spiritual Siri that we carry in like, hey, Holy Spirit, tell God that I need a new job. Hey, Holy Spirit, tell God that my parents are being super frustrating. But that the resurrection power of Jesus is granted to us. And rather than us having to gather around a tiny little house in Palestine to hear Jesus teach, that the spirit of wisdom, of revelation, has been granted towards all who would put their faith in the blood of Jesus. And that is just better. <laughs> you know, that, that is a fuller, richer access because it can't be bound by time and place. And I would just say, I'm sorry, I'm, I know I'm being long-witted, but if you want to know more tangibly like what that kind of looks like. One of the things that has really shifted the paradigm for me is understanding Christianity in a broader context than Atlanta and America, and specifically uh, books like The Insanity of God, uh, ministries like Help the Persecuted. You know, in, in America, where the church is this large, weird, you know, partly counterfeit, partly real phenomena. Uh, spiritual activity is a lot more confusing, but if you look at the church in these persecuted countries, you will understand why the Holy Spirit is so good. Because there are people who are having dreams, who are having visions, who are miraculously showing up at a door to a house they saw in a dream, and it's a pastor's house, and they are disgruntled, and they're made safe. Like You will understand why the Spirit is important. Amen. That's so good. Look, if you want to if you want to read more, I would encourage you to go read at least the first half of John 16. That's Jesus in his own words saying, here's what the spirit's going to do and here's why it's better that I leave. So good. Will, Kate, John, thank you. Y'all nailed six hard questions really really quickly and wonderfully. Thank you. Hey, so here's what we're going to do. I'm just going to I'm going to land the plane. Will's going to transition back to worship pastor, and, uh, and from preacher to worship pastor. And I, I'm gonna answer one more question real fast. And, uh, and here, this is the question. I've been saying the answer to this question, I think most weeks since January. What are the basics slash the summary of the Bible? What are slash is the core idea? I have just become so encouraged with studying this book for my own walk with the Lord, for your edification, 
um, primarily to know the Lord more. And I, sometimes I, I have this thought of like, what am I going to preach when this series is over? And it's just the silliest little thought because then you go back and the Word of God, you realize is living and active and will never, will never exhaust all that is in here. And so I would say in four words, this is the story of the Bible. It's the creation. It's the fall. It's the redemption. And it's the consummation. And that's the overarching storyline and theme that you'll see as you read. And the, the fall and the redemption, it's the longest part. And you feel it as you read through the Bible. Is Jesus ever going to come? And then when he comes, you see the redemption. But it's not complete yet because we still live in this fallen world. And then you see the conclusion that one day there will be this consummation, this new birth that's better than Eden. And so that would be, in four words, the creation, the fall, the redemption, and the consummation, how I see the whole storyline of the scriptures. So I want to I end tonight um, by saying just a couple of things. One, I'm super excited. We're going to jump into the Sermon on the Mount. I have not taught the Sermon on the Mount um, in, in the two and a half years, almost three that I've been here, I've intentionally not taught it because I thought I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more because there's so much Jesus and the Jewish roots of Jesus in there. And so we're going to start, um, for the next month looking at chapter five. And I'm really, really excited to start going again, verse by verse through a text. And next week is on the flourishing life which I think is a better word than beatitude. And so I'm really excited to jump into that. But as we conclude this series, I just was reminded of your 124 questions that you sent in. That it's so good to ask big questions about God. Um, but I want you to know that God often gives a different answer than the question you ask. And when I think about Job, Job wanted to know why. And he asked why the whole book. And at the very end, at the very end of the book, easier for me to say, and the very end of the book, what we see is God answers and God says, Job, do you trust my wisdom? And never answers his direct question, but gives a different answer. Do you trust my wisdom? I think about the woman at the well in John chapter four. You know, she asked four big questions or three big questions to Jesus. She has like this like five part dialogue with him. But her questions are like, are you bigger than Jacob? Um, where, does this, where does this living water you talk about come from? Where are we gonna worship one day? She asked good, big questions, similar to some of your 124 questions. Good, big questions. But do you know what Jesus kept coming back to? He kept coming back to, you need me. He gave good answers. He talked about where they're going to worship, and he talked about the living water. Some of the questions he ignored, he didn't say, um, you know, well, let me tell you why I'm better than Jacob. He, he does come to that conclusion, but he skips over some stuff. But what he keeps telling her, she's asking all these questions out here, and what he keeps telling her is, you need to know me. And then what he shows her is, and I know you. 
So much so that she goes back to the town and she says, let me show you a man who, who said everything there was to say about me. And this woman was, was discarded by so many in her community. And yet she felt seen and safe and loved. As he exposed the sin in her life. And then it says, as the whole passage concludes, when the rest of these folks are coming to meet Jesus, it says that many believed because of her testimony. Let me tell you why that's so important for this series. Many did not believe because of the answers to her hard questions. Many believed because of her testimony that there was a man who saw her and offer her a new way to live that was totally free, starting over in purity and forgiveness and love. And so I say, ask the big questions. We'll continue to try to answer these. I think every Friday, Jonathan Pecluda and his podcast, he answers questions that young adults send in. I love that. I love answering the questions. But remember, you may not find the relationship with God and the answer to some of these questions. You may be more like the woman at the well than you think. And what you may need is to realize that the Lord sees you just like you are, not like you should be. And yet he loves you and he offers you living water and a hope and a future and security with him. And there's nothing better than that. You know, Paul says in the famous love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and I have all knowledge, and if I have all the faiths, even so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all the way I have and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So my challenge to you is as you collect this knowledge, let it be to more and more love the Lord. And as a result, love people. You, you, may, not, you may not need some of the answers to the questions that you've been asking. You may need to deal with like the porn in your life. You may not, you may not need some of the, the questions answered that you've been asking, you may need to do what Kate said and start serving. So I say, ask the questions, but listen for the Lord's answer. I love that he went to the woman at the well and he says to her, look, if you'll come to me, You'll never have to go back to your own concoction of drawing water again. You'll have springs of living water flowing out of you. And if you're in the same rut and you just can't seem to break out, maybe you're drawing from your own well. And maybe the question you need to ask is, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And that's finally what happened in that encounter with the woman at the well. The Lord spoke to her and she finally heard what he needed to say to her. 
She had a lot of things to work through with him after that. But that whole village felt the effects of the woman that now had springs of living water flowing from her. So maybe tonight, as we sing these last two songs, as we sing about it not being me, but Christ in me, maybe we ask the Lord, Lord, what do you need to say to me? What questions do you need to ask me? I think that would be a great way for us to end our time worshiping together and talking to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, the woman at the well had a lot of questions, and you were gracious. You answered most of them. But what she really wanted to do was ask her some questions. And so, Father, as we go into this time of singing, of worshiping, Lord, let it not be our own questions that fill our minds and our hearts, but let it be your words that come into our lives, that fill us, that change us, and flow from us, that we might live in your power, in your grace, and in your strength. Jesus, you're so good to see us as we are and to speak to us. Would you give us words to hear? And so as we almost say amen, while you're just sitting right there before we sing together, would you just ask the Lord, what do you have to say to me? Speak to us, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen.